On a radio talk show, a well-known dating coach, self-proclaimed love guru, was answering callers' questions to get his love advice. And one caller called and asked, if you're dating a gentleman who says he's very busy with his career, who doesn't seem to have that much time, and every time you call him to have a chat, he always says, I'm too busy, I can't talk right now, let's chat later. But you see him on Facebook at sporting events and activities with his friends all the time. So what do you think? The dating coach said, what I think is that he is telling the truth. He's spending all his time on sporting events and activities with his friends. That is what he's choosing to do with his time instead of seeing you right now. So the question that you're asking is really the wrong question. The right question is, where do I sit on his list of priorities? I sit in the camp of, if you are important to him, he will find the time, he will figure it out. And that is true 99.9% of the time. When we tell God, I'm too busy, I can't talk right now, let's chat later, the question that we need to ask is not, how do I find the time? But the question is, where does God sit on my list of priorities? How important is God to me? We are now at the last Bible talk in the series, Confident Christianity, on the book of Colossians, to learn how we can have unwavering confidence in Jesus Christ amidst the waves of our culture. And in today's passage, Paul is drawing his letter to a close. He has led the Colossians brothers and sisters on this breathtaking cosmic voyage covering everything from Christ's eternal identity to global mission down to the need for us to have a servant attitude in all of our relationships. So what notes will he stake at the end? What is is his big conclusion after all that he's taking us through in his letter? Throughout the letter, Paul has consistently expounded on the universal lordship of Christ and how incredible and intimate our union with Christ is. Paul's purpose of writing the letter is to encourage the Colossians church to continue to walk and mature in the faith by growing in their knowledge of Christ's lordship and union with him. So it is no accident that Paul prioritizes prayer for the Colossians. And so Paul urges the Colossians, verse 2, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Paul is saying effective evangelism starts with prayer. We need to first speak to God about people before we can be effectively be speaking about God to people. And I really like Paul's choice of the word devote. Because devotion is both deliberate purpose and sincere passion. It's deliberate purpose and sincere passion. It requires all of our faculties, our minds, our wills, and our emotions to be devoted to something. And the point is not so much the intensity when praying, but praying persistently with perseverance. And this is the hardest work of evangelism, to contend in prayer for God, to open people's hearts, 
to the gospel because words alone are feeble without the empowering work of God. Only God could bring the message to life in such a way as to raise spiritually dead people to life. And that is why we are to be devoted in praying for evangelism. Paul goes on to elaborate his call to devoted prayer in a manner that is watchful and thankful. Being watchful for the answers to the prayers that we pray and giving thanks to God when God answers graciously, miraculously, in opening doors for the gospel to be proclaimed clearly to those who don't know Jesus. Verse 4. And when God does open doors and opportunities, we are then called to speak about God to people who we come across every day. Verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul gives us some pointers on how we are to speak about God to people. Firstly, we are to live wisely, to live a godly pattern of living, so that we don't turn people away or turn people off by our hypocrisy. But we shouldn't also use our lack of wise living as an excuse for being too cautious for we are also charged to make the most of every opportunity. In the Greek, it literally means buying up, as in like snapping up, buying up every opportunity like a bargain on Black Friday. Time is short and time is urgent. The Lord Jesus will return. Snap up those conversations. So don't use your navel-gazing at your godliness as an excuse to not take that opportunity to speak about Jesus to the people that you come across. Secondly, our conversations about God is to be full of grace, full of empathy, full of kindness, not argumentative, not aggressive, but full of grace. And lastly, our conversations are to be seasoned with salt, as in savoury, appetising, our conversations about Jesus to people are to be interesting, lively, colourful, and at the same time biblically true so that we know how to answer everyone. And so Paul is calling us to speak with our unbelieving neighbours and friends with graciousness, warmth, with winsome words to answer questions about our faith. As one commentator puts it, Paul envisages a church expected to hold its own in the social setting of the marketplaces, baths, meal table, and to win attentive attention by attractiveness of their life and speech. We're to hold our own in our companies, on the bus, on our train. As we invite people over for a meal, we are to hold our own in graciously, explaining about who Jesus is and what he has done. So how do we do this? Some of you are curling in front of me. This can sound very daunting. You might say, I don't feel confident, I don't have the skills to talk about God or the Bible. This might be how you're feeling. And we tend to think, okay, the answer is then practical application is to do more training on how to share the gospel message. 
I think there is much value in evangelistic skills training. There's much value in Bible training. But I think the main issue that is hindering us from speaking about God more to others is not an issue of confidence in perhaps our skills, but perhaps it's an issue of our confidence in God. Because we remember as we go back to chapter 1, we learn that God through his spirit gives us wisdom and understanding. God will help us to live wisely and he'll help us to have conversations that are seasoned with salt. God will help us. And so we need to honestly examine ourselves. When we say we're not confident or competent to share our faith with others, are we using that as an excuse? Yes, yes, we always continue to invest and grow in our knowledge of God and our skills and abilities to share the gospel with others. And that's just a part of everyday, ongoing church life and discipleship. That's what we do week in and week out. But when the opportunity does come, are we going to snap it up or are we going to overbrain it? Are we going to have confidence in Jesus that he will always be with us, that he has given you the spirit to give you wisdom and knowledge to talk about God to others? In the final section, verses 7 to 18, the letter is a series of personal greetings by Paul's fellow workers in the gospel. I'm not going to spend too much time on this section because I want to come back to prayer as the main application of today's talk. And we're actually going to spend some extra time praying together. But what I will point out with the greetings from verses 8 to 18 is that Paul doesn't just run with good Christians, good moral Christians. Paul runs with Christians that are not just good in that sense, but are passionately energetic for serving Jesus. When you read the final greetings, you get this overwhelming sense that everyone that is named is engrossed in ministry. It's almost like they're saying, hi, Colossians, whilst they're serving others, isn't it? It's almost like they're they're stopping for a sec to say hello, to do the relational thing and connect with the Colossians, but they're, they're engrossed in their ministry. We don't know who they are, But we do know that they are eager to serve because the descriptions that Paul describes his co-workers are not just character descriptions, but their actions and their, you can say, job descriptions. Titicus, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord, encourages your hearts, verses 7 to 8. Omnisius, who will tell you everything that is happening here, keeps everyone in the loop, Tell us people's needs. Articus, Paul, Mark and Justice are comforted by Paul. They're the comforters. They get beside people, verses 10 to 11. Epaphras, who's always wrestling. Remember that word? Contending, which is agonizing. Epaphras is always agonizing in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. And they encourage others to be involved in ministry, verse 17. There's a bloke called Archippus. And Paul says, tell him, see it to that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Paul doesn't just run with good behaving Christians. Paul runs with Christians who are engrossed, switched on, and are passionate for ministry. So the question is, who do you run with? 
What's your closest circle of friends? Who do you run with? Who are the people that are influencing you, shaping you? Do we want to be a church of good Christians? Or do we want to be a good church that is passionate for ministry also? A church that is engrossed in being faithful ministers to encourage each other's hearts, to share our personal lives and tell of each other what is happening, what is going on in our lives, to wrestle, to agonize in prayer for each other's maturity, to spur one another on, fulfilling the ministry that God has called each of us to do. Wouldn't it be great for every newcomer at Chapel Hill that after being greeted multiple times, after being welcomed multiple times, that they would leave our church service and say, man, that church family, they're engrossed in serving and loving one another. Wouldn't that be a great thing to pray for? And I might just say, like most recently, we've been really busy. I've been really pushing myself and all of us to get into the community and serve. And I want to say, it's been so much fun serving with you all. I've been so engrossed and I've been so enjoying to run with you to serve and reach our local community. But wouldn't it be a great thing that we would pray for more and more that every person that comes through the door and calls Chapel Hill home will be engrossed in doing ministry together? Because that's what Paul runs with. Those are the people that he runs with. Let's be a church like Paul that runs with people that are passionate about serving others. And so that leads me back to prayer. How can we grow to be more devoted in prayer as a church? The question is not how can I find the time? The real question is how do I prioritize God? And what we can learn from Colossians is two things as we looked at the whole letter. I want to suggest that there are two truths about the Lordship of Christ from Colossians which can help drive us to be more prayerful. The first truth is that we are caught up in a bigger challenge and fight. This is the real truth. We're caught up in a bigger challenge and fight because we learn from Colossians that Jesus is Lord over all things visible and all things invisible. All things in the material world, all things in the spiritual world. There are spiritual powers, principalities, and spirits of this age at work that is ruled by Satan that seeks to devour, attack, and deceive us from following Jesus. The first major hindrance to prayer is not a lack of time, but a lack of perception to realize that we live in a spiritual war. And so we're not led to seek Jesus, who is powerful Lord over all spiritual powers, all principalities, and all spirits. But when we start to see the Christian life through the lens of Christ's lordship over all things, material and spiritual, we would be compelled to prioritize him, to seek his rule and victory over all the invisible powers and principalities 
that are in effect in our lives. The second truth is that we are not in control over our circumstances. First truth is that we are in a greater fight and challenge. The second truth is that we are not in control of our circumstances. The second major hindrance to prayer is not a lack of energy, but it's our self-reliance. We don't pray simply because we think we can control the circumstances and environment in our lives. We don't go to God because we think that we can think, strategize, or my method is to research our way out of the challenges and circumstances of our lives. When something hard comes to you, what happens? What's your first reaction? Call a friend? I go to books. Research it. I hit my Kindle. How about you? What's your strategy? We don't go to God because we think we can strategize, research our way of our challenges and circumstances life. But Jesus is Lord over all things. He is the head of the church. As the head, he sovereignly leads and sustains his people. And when we see the Christian life through the lens of Christ's lordship over all things, creation and the church, we would be compelled to prioritize him, to seek his sovereign rule in our lives. Our first reaction would be go to God our Father in prayer because he is our sovereign Lord. Someone in church actually recently, really earnestly, over a lunch catch-up, asked me to get help to be better with his spiritual disciplines, particularly in prayer. This is really, really encouraging to see people in our church family humbly and earnestly seeking others out to grow and mature in the Christian walk. I was so touched and so encouraged that this person really wanted to grow in prayer. And the person struggles, he said that he felt, he didn't feel the need to pray because he didn't feel the desire to pray. He didn't understand the purpose of prayer, and so he didn't have the desire to pray. And my answer is with the feeling and desire to pray to God, actually, this is my answer, starts with feeling how totally inadequate you are in controlling your own life. The feeling for God starts with feeling how small, feeble, weak, You really are. Once you feel that, then you'll start to feel and desire God on how great, majestic, and in control He is. Feeling and desiring God starts with confessing your ignorance of the spiritual opposition, starts with the repentance of your pride in your own self-reliance, to be the superman or the wonder woman at your work, at your home, with your spouse and kids, and even at your church to serve God. Only when you start to feel how inadequate, small, feeble, weak, and arrogant 
Only then will you begin to see and feel and desire the majestic Lord Jesus who is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, whom you can freely, openly, intimately come to personally in prayer. Because he is not only the Lord and Redeemer of all, he is your personal Lord and Redeemer. Your Lord and Redeemer who delights in your prayers, who rejoices in coming to him with requests and petition. So Chapel Hill, let's turn our, I'm busy, let's chat later, to I'm your son, Father, let's chat now. Jesus' Lordship turns our, I'm busy, let's chat later, to I'm your beloved son, Father, let's chat now and we have that by the knowledge on our and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ so that's what we're going to do right now we're going to say I am your son I'm your daughter father let's chat now so before we respond in singing our last song we're going to respond in praying together in small groups Because the most important work in our working bee is the work of prayer. And so we're going to break into small groups to pray for God to open up conversations where we can speak to many people with grace, seasoned with salt, at our carols and into our new year. So we're going to spend some time praying for carols and praying for Chapel Hill in 2020. I'm going to pray with Ben and George. So if you guys could join me in praying up front, I'll give you some time to pray in groups. If you're new and you're not too comfortable praying, that's okay. You're just welcome to sit uh, and listen to our prayers. And then I'm going to ask Ben, one of our elders, to close in prayer. And then we're going to respond again through song. So break off uh, and let's pray. Let's chat now.